Hi, Val here, and this is my podcast, The Kalahari Diaries. I live in one of Africa's most remote wilderness areas. Nature and wildlife is my biggest passion. I hand-dressed Serga the lioness and walked the Kalahari to join her on her hunts. My work is on tourism and nature conservation. For fun, but also for wildlife monitoring, I fly anything that gets me into the air. I live in an old caravan. The next supermarket is a two and a half hour drive away on sandy and bumpy roads. There is no cell reception anywhere nearby, and the only comms is an extremely slow, extremely expensive satellite internet connection. I am Valentin Grüner, and this is my podcast, The Kalahari Diaries. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Kalahari Diaries. And it's been a very long time since the last episode, I guess. Usually that's a good thing if I have not been around to sit down and record a podcast and post stuff online. That means that things have been going well outside and outdoors in the bush, which is good for the project, good for the animals, good for the area, and a lot of fun for me. So I think usually a good thing, but apologies for being so late with this episode. I think we should be back on track now, though. And today we have a pretty exciting one. I've got three guests here with me. A little bit of a surprise. We'll get to them in a moment. First, I would just elaborate the overall subject today a little bit. And it's all about carbon emissions, CO2, atmosphere, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and our carbon footprint, which essentially is the total greenhouse emissions that we cause in CO2, which is measured in weight. And that weight can be tons, kilograms, doesn't matter. Um, basically, it just means that even what we emit as a person, an individual or as a company, it can be measured how much exactly that is. And then ecosystems store carbon. And it can be measured how much carbon is stored in an ecosystem per area. So per 100 hectare or per square kilometer, how much carbon is actually in that area. And so there, there's somewhat of a balance. Now the question is, how does this actually work? I'm not sure if everyone's aware of the process of an ecosystem. And it's actually something so extremely simple and beautiful. I mean... Even as an individual, as we're sitting here, we're breathing in oxygen and we're breathing out a lot of CO2, about the carbon dioxide. And if we're looking at a tree, for example, a tree is doing the opposite. It breathes in carbon dioxide, the stuff that we breathe out, and then it breathes out. The byproduct of this tree's breathing process is, is oxygen. So it's the other way around than us which means we need each other to, to stay alive. It's, it, it's such a beautiful balance and a beautiful system. Now, if we're wondering where the carbon goes, it's actually what the tree is building its fiber with, the woody fiber, that's carbon, that the tree is filtering out of the air. And the process while that's happening is called photosynthesis, where a leaf pulls in CO2, it's using energy from the sun and water to turn that into sugars to feed the tree, and... The CO2 is being made into the, the woody mass in a way, and the byproduct that is happening, the oxygen, is just a waste for the tree, and it's releasing that back. And then we're doing the opposite. We are using the oxygen to keep us alive and to breathe. And of course, we need all kinds of other stuff as well, like um, all the foods that we're eating. But we're releasing CO2, which actually the tree needs in return. So not a bad deal overall, I think. The problem is today, we're not just sitting here breathing. We have a lot of other activities going on on this earth. And most of this has to do with our energy consumption. 
be it driving vehicles, airlines that fly, planes all over the world that we sit in to go on our vacations, um, just turning on the computer or using the device in our hand, not just takes does it take energy to run the device, it also took energy to produce the device. It takes major servers, huge amounts of energy to process all the data that is being sort of blown around the earth all, all the time at, at this stage and at this day and age right now. So we are part of a very big system that consumes a hell of a lot of energy, all of which boils down to releasing a lot more CO2 into the atmosphere. And the balance that we're looking at, that beautiful balance of this is what we emit and that's what the vegetation takes back and emits the oxygen back to us, that's not really there anymore. It's out of balance and that's where we have to look at the scenario of climate change. Some people talk of global warming and greenhouse effect and stuff like that. Now, if we're looking at this greenhouse effect, it's actually quite easy. So the principle may sound like a big term, but if we just think of a small greenhouse, this could be a tiny one that stands on our desk at home where we grow a few little herbs in it. And that greenhouse has a little lid on it, a see-through lid, but it's a lid that traps a little atmosphere inside that makes the stuff grow. It's nice and moist and warm and stuff like that. And that's where our vegetation can now flourish. Our earth is basically a greenhouse if we look at it very simply. And it's not exactly a plastic cover that's on top of it, but in between the surface of the earth and quite a little bit higher up, there is a layer of gases. Those are the greenhouse gases. And they act in a way like that plastic cover. So these gases are there, they're natural and a certain amount is supposed to be there. Now, if we emit a lot more of these gases on Earth, it means that that layer gets thicker. And what the layer does essentially, that's trapping heat on Earth. Otherwise, it would be very, very, very cold here. So the thicker we make this layer of these greenhouse gases and the more intense, the more intense the heat will get, which means it will become a bit warmer. And that's a problem because everything will change. And some of the sort of major consequences of this effect are the thawing of glacial masses, the flooding of islands and coastal cities, more intense hurricanes and generally more intense and crazy weather patterns, the migration of species that might have to leave areas where the habitat and circumstances are changing to another area, and desertification of fertile areas. All of this having a major impact on agriculture, on livestock and on our way of life in general. So these are big problems and they are caused by that. And now I think we can all actually see some of it happening. I mean, right now, if I look into the news, it's all about agricultural areas struggling, getting too dry, the desertification of fertile areas. Maybe that's the beginning of it. I'm sitting in the Kalahari and to bring you back into our office here with our guests, I can tell you that we've had our winter, which is our dry season. And this is a semi-desert. We don't get rain in the dry season. It's usually we don't even get rain in the rainy season. And our average here is around 200 millimeters of rain throughout our rainy season. Now in the middle of our winter, we've had over 100 millimeters of rain and very nicely spread out rainfalls. And these events have been so crazy here that people in the villages that have been here their entire life, old people, if you ask them what they're thinking while it was raining like that, 
they actually said that they think the world's ending. It was like the apocalypse to them. They have never heard of this. It's un it's unheard of. And anywhere in the soil right now, if I dig just a little bit, it's the sand is wet underneath. It's absolutely incredible. Something that normally is absolutely not the case. So we had something that could have been an entire rainy season in a bad year happen now in our dry season. So things are becoming a little bit crazy all over the world. And governments politicians, people in general, are starting to be quite concerned about this and trying to do stuff. And one of these ways is that companies can now sort of offset the emissions that they are causing by saying we protect an area. And like we said previously, those emissions can be measured and weighed how much is stored in an ecosystem in an area and how much is a company emitting and then they can protect a certain area to say we we're making up for this in a way and that's done by spending money to protect that area so if a company spends enough money to say we're protecting enough area that stores enough carbon to make up for what we emit they can call themselves carbon neutral and obviously there's no money that is being spent somewhere the question that i always had was what exactly happens where is it going because we're sitting in an area that's very natural one of the largest intact ecosystems in the world and by that i don't mean our small area that we actually have here i mean everything surrounding us in the kalahari in botswana and i never knew of any of this money being spent here to do something for this so i never understood what's actually happening with this and Pretty amazingly now, I understand a lot more about it, and that's thanks to our three guests. We have Ben, Mihir, and Amod here with us. And maybe you guys could just introduce yourselves quickly, just real quick, who you are, where you're from. Yeah, awesome. Sounds good. So I'll, I'll go ahead and kick it off. Uh, I'm Amod um, from uh, Austin, Texas, currently an undergraduate studying finance, a bit of a background in, in VR and, and tech. Um, and we've got two of our other team members here from Gazelle as well. I'll let them quickly introduce themselves. I'm Mihir. I'm a computational engineering major at UT Austin, um, and I'm passionate about sustainability and green initiatives. And I'm Ben. I'm studying accounting and government at the wonderful University of Texas at Austin, and I'm <laughs> here for the ride. Yeah, I think... Maybe you guys can start just by telling us a little bit about how does this all actually work. Say I'm a big tech company, I have a big airline or whatever else it may be, and I want to offset my carbon emissions. How do I do that? Where does the money go? Who's responsible for what happens with that money? And what's the kind of process? Can you guys explain? All right, sure. I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, so kind of at a high level, you have a lot of different solutions that are being implemented besides just firms trying to reduce their carbon footprint and Val already talked a little bit about kind of what that means because you look at certain companies like airlines for example and biofuels are a very critical component of the way they operate so for a lot of companies yes they want to reduce their emissions especially like big tech companies that have uh, very energy intensive data centers and places like this um, but sometimes it's just not possible to, to completely eliminate these emissions. So that's where things like carbon credits come in. And so there's a, there's a lot of different types of technologies out there. There's, um, you know, carbon removal systems, there's carbon credits and things like that. Um, but I'll actually let Mihir maybe talk a little bit about what exactly carbon credits are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. you know, maybe just a, a brief primer there. Sounds good. So, essentially, with the green movement and everything uh, nowadays, uh, like, all the, like, knowledge about having high greenhouse emissions and climate change and everything, governments have actually started putting regulations on the carbon emissions of companies. Um, so companies try to reduce their emissions, but they're not always able to fulfill those requirements. So uh, especially with companies like Amode talked about, like airline companies or big tech companies, which have carbon emissions as part of their business model, um, they need to find alternatives to actually reduce their emissions. And that's where carbon credits come in. Carbon credits are an opportunity for companies to reduce their emissions while uh, channeling funds into projects uh, like uh, environmental restoration projects or wildlife rehabilitation projects, which actually are doing activities which sequester carbon or prevent land from being converted to a factory or something that emits carbon. And really, these carbon credits can can come from anything. You know, it's not just limited to wildlife conservation projects or non-conversion projects. You know, there are companies that are going into places and, you know, putting in more energy-efficient appliances or really anything that you can honestly think of that allows people to reduce their footprint. And that difference in what would have otherwise been greenhouse gas emissions is what's credited as a carbon credit. So each credit is the equivalent of one metric ton of carbon dioxide that otherwise would have been emitted. And companies are essentially, when Mihir says buying carbon credits, this is what they're doing. They're buying the rights to what would have been uh, carbon emissions so that it offsets their their emissions. And so Mihir, I know you mentioned a little bit about an increase in, in regulation and some pressure. I know Ben, as an accountant, um, you probably know a little bit more about what's happening in the U.S. with the SEC and other regulatory bodies. Do you want to talk about that? Of course, yeah. So with uh, more modern waves of environmental concern, we're realizing, you know, what we do has a tremendous effect on the world around us. And that is something that businesses are starting to realize is important just in the long term. So within the U.S., the Center for Exchange has outlined, you know, new mandates that could potentially be active as early as 2024, which are recommending to companies and forcing them in some respects to record their environmental impact, which we believe in turn will require them to show some sort of commitment to sustainable efforts, conservation projects, all sorts of, you know, environmentally improving, carbon reducing things. And that kind of thing is going to draw a lot of big U.S. companies and international companies that operate in the U.S. to, you know, look for solutions, look for alternatives to the way they currently do business. Okay, cool. So uh, I think that makes all sense. Pretty good, pretty good stuff. Uh, what I would t- maybe just take it back one notch quickly for, for all the listeners and go a little bit into, and I can talk about that essentially real quickly, so that from what we understand to make it quite short and simple, so companies emit a carbon, um, which it's, it's not great, it happens, but it's every, every one of us mm. does it, basically just by, by being alive essentially already. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually our natural ecosystems that store that carbon back into our mm-hmm. planet 
and the whole thing needs to be in somewhat of a balance so now i think that to make it very basic big companies that emit a lot such as a, a major airline and stuff like that um they have an interest as a company or even forced by law through taxes or whatever that depends on what country we're talking about and things like that but in some way or another to make up for the emissions that they're causing and they have now ways of putting that money back into areas that are actually filtering our atmosphere and putting that carbon back into our soil now that can be measured scientifically mm. so it can be measured exactly how many metric tons how much weight yeah. you know is one company or factory or airplane emitting and then it can be measured scientifically for each different ecoregion on our planet that is still sustainable and intact how much does that actually sustainably sequester and mm. you make up for that damage that the big company has caused and so there's quite a lot of scientific stuff going on in the background obviously but it's actually quite a simple idea and yeah let's just go on with i think coming a little bit further into this so now the company is there spending money and i say i have a big company instead of what i actually do let's say i would just have an airline and i fly a bunch of jets around mm -hmm. and earn a lot of money now i would like to tell all my customers i'm actually carbon neutral sounds pretty strange to me because i've got five or six boeings in the air exactly. emitting yeah. a lot of stuff but i can still actually today get this label i can call myself i'm now you know carb zero carbon footprint that means i probably have to throw quite a lot of money into other areas Exactly. And my question now for you guys is having a, a lot more background in this. Number one, so we understand where the money is coming from. The question is who actually collects those funds and who decides where they're allocated and what is being done with the cash? So um, there, there's a couple of players, key players in this ecosystem that pretty much control the, the flow of money from point A to point B. So if you were an airline company, let's say, wanting to buy carbon credits, you're going to go out and essentially find companies that operate these projects that generate carbon credits. So this could be a company uh, reforesting parts of the Amazon rainforest. This could be a, a, maybe a, a social program, right? Working with folks in some developing countries and, and putting in some green technology. It could, it could be anything. And so you, you've got the buyer, you've got the companies that operate these carbon credit projects, and that's really where the money is going. Um, there, there, you know, there, there's a few other parties that are involved, right? Because you've got these um, carbon registries that have to basically verify these carbon projects that exist to make sure that, hey, there are actually greenhouse gas emission reductions that are happening or that these projects are actually real and measurable and intangible and so on and so forth. So there, there's a bunch of players in this ecosystem, but really it's these carbon offset companies that are operating these projects, the carbon registries, which are basically these nonprofits, which have a bunch of scientists that, um, you know, create these methodologies and, and ways to actually measure that, who, who verify these emission reductions. And then you have the companies that are actually buying these carbon credits. And so it, it really depends where the money goes. I think, you know, and we can talk more about this uh, in a little bit, but, you know, with, with the gazelle, just at a high level, the idea is, look, we want to reinvest a portion of these funds back into the communities that are actually doing said projects to reduce emissions and live sustainably. 
Um, other companies might just donate it to charity or pocket it at home. I, you know, there it, it's it's right. really all over the place. Cool. I think awesome. Thanks for that explanation. And since you just mentioned Gazelle, I think if the three of you can just quickly get us a little bit more into detail now on your actual idea, how did you come up with it? Why and what is it essentially? Give them the elevator yeah. pitch. So. Essentially, it all started when I met uh, Professor uh, Thoralf Meyer, who's at our university. He teaches uh, geography, and his research is based in Botswana's Kalahari Desert, uh, where Val is also operating out of. So, Dr. Meyer actually gave me an idea about creating an app which calculates the sustainable carrying capacity of lands such as game ranches or... Uh, just cattle ranches because a big problem here in the Kalahari is that people tend to tend not to know how many livestock or animals their land can actually sustain and they tend to overstock it and that's a problem for the ecosystem because uh, if you overstock your land it's going to be overgrazed and the grass is going to be gone and 10 years down the road it's going to be worthless pretty much and also it sequesters a lot less carbon than actually would have if it was a natural land. So uh, how, how our project got started was that, um, so our other teammates, Sid and I, uh, we, were, we, talk, we were talking about the Texas Sustainability Innovation Challenge, which was, which was basically a sustainability competition at our college. And uh, he got together all the other teammates, so me, Ben, Amod, and uh, himself, so yeah so it was already there <laughs> <laughs> so basically we pursued this idea for the texas sustainability innovation challenge and like back in april we happened to win this competition uh we got the first place we advanced to the fowler global social innovation challenge oh really also... congrats me here i had no idea that's huge <laughs> you also won the first place for that <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, kind of what I'll, I'll summarize what Mir said. Essentially, at at a high level, the idea is to promote sustainable behavior in the Kalahari to prevent overgrazing, to increase the carbon that's being sequestered on the land. But at the end of the day, if we go to people and say, "Look, here's an app," and the app allegedly says that you need to remove three cows from your land. People aren't just going to do it because they want to say they're sustainable and then feel good about themselves. There has to be some kind of a incentive to actually adopt this this behavior. And so that's really where this ties back to the conversation about carbon credits because you know we we built out this app, we we you know, you know, found who our end users are going to be and then started putting together the infrastructure to actually make it happen. And I think we were just sitting together one night talking about okay, you know, we've put this together um how how are we going to incentivize people to actually use this, right? And, yeah, and, right. And, and and really retain you know uh, uh, projects and, and and users. And I think I think Mihir goes, what about like eco credits? And then we're like, oh, like carbon credits. And and you know started looking into that. So that's really where the idea came from. But long story short, we're basically paying people not to destroy their land because it's increasing carbon that's being sequestered, but they get rewarded in the process. Great, cool. So I mean. To put that into very basic terms, for me as a person actually in in Africa now with a chunk of land and that I look after and manage and we essentially manage it as a natural ecosystem the way it is supposed to be. And that can be quite difficult, especially financially speaking, because there's not a lot of 
financial return actually all coming out of this we're trying to get some of it through tourism some of it through our social media the fundraisers we've been doing and and the patreon page and all kinds of things but what i think essentially needs to be understood here what this means is i can now go download this app once it's all up and running and i'll be able to not only be able to judge the condition of my land better the the capacity that it can actually stock be that cattle goats or even my wild animals the antelope that that walk around here but so it helps with that to, to keep the, the land in a sus sustainable and healthy state and at the same time it can actually reward me financially for basically not doing much for just having the app and and being in touch with you guys about this and registering in, essentially with you and the app mm -hmm. and I mean, so I've been talking to the guys here for quite some time now. We've actually had a few weeks together in the Kalahari sort of working on this. And it's quite amazing how much potential income this could actually bring for something like this. And what that really would mean for myself right now is that I could use this and potentially earn enough money that I would not have to do much else. This would actually enable me to, to keep this land the way it is, to keep it healthy, to manage it in a sustainable manner. And... I think that's pretty amazing because for my whole life so far, I've just been wondering where I'm going to take all the money to pay back everybody I've been borrowing from for the last 15 years. <laughs> so are we all? Yeah, pretty pretty amazing concept. I think what what I would like to mention quickly here is that there's two two ways to earn this money. One is a non-conversion credit. I think would be the right term yeah. for it in a way, and that would be essentially natural ecosystems that already exist, such as actually our area surrounding us. And the idea is simply to say, in order to keep that land in this state and not convert it into a cattle ranch or a plowing field, mm. plant corn here and things like that. So in order to keep it like this, there's a potential amount of money available. And actually, we've just been carrying out some of the research to determine the actual carbon sequestered in this area here around us. Right. And so that could benefit natural ecosystems such as parks community areas that are currently just wild which botswana actually has quite a lot of right and then the second type would be the actual conversion where you get credits to change the status of your land and now we're talking about the restoration of different ecosystems or ranches a lot of ranch lands that are heavily overgrazed like me here mentioned and so that would be the the second one, so there's two different kinds. One to keep a natural ecosystem the way it is and not changing it. And the other one could actually bring in money for people to change their already sort of degraded land back into a more healthy state. Right. And obviously the funds would help because now you don't have to sell as many cattle because potentially you could earn a lot more money of just making your land more healthy, right? Mm. So I think there's massive potential here in all kinds of directions. Um, not just for myself and definitely need to thank the guys here for even coming up with this because I've been, I mean, obviously I'm interested in all of this. Anybody that's been listening to my podcast knows I talk a lot about management, sustainability, carrying capacity. So it's something I'm very interested in and expert. I've always, well, yeah, a field expert maybe at best. <laughs> I count. <laughs> but I've always been, you know, thinking, uh, yeah, there's these companies spending money and they're saying we're green. And where does it actually go? Because I've never seen a cent of it. And we do actually the opposite of them, or at least we're trying. So I think this is a pretty cool concept that potentially can bring this cash, the money, to the right 
people in the right communities. And I think this brings me to somewhat of another point here. Now, let's just say, for instance, I get a bunch of money and instead of, I already manage my land sustainably, but I might just say, hey, I'm a pilot. How about I buy a nice little private jet and just start filling that up twice a day and fly mm. overseas once a week just because I can. Um, I know it won't be that much money and things like that, but it's just hypothetically. So question to you guys, maybe Ben, I don't know, it's a bit of a financial thing, mm. but what, what's actually the, yeah, what's controlling this once I get the money? Because in a way, the way I see it is, and that's always a problem, and that before I even thought about where do these funds go, my issue was always what really happens is money spent to me equals carbon emissions because we we buy things with it like we're part of this consumeristic <laughs> world and be it a new airplane and putting more fuel into it so if we put that money in isn't it actually potentially something that could actually increase emissions in an area if a community gets a lot of money and instead of putting it into the right things mm -hmm. such as education health and think and environmental you know benefits mm -hmm. for 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 our nature could it not backfire a little bit and is there a way to control that Absolutely. And I mean, I would say, especially for someone like yourself, the first, you know, blocking stone there would be, you know, just the matter of your own conscience. We would hope that if you're deciding to partner with us and work on a sustainable initiative, then you wouldn't want to do something like that. But on a more broader spectrum, if we were to apply this to, say, a communal ranching area, the goal there, aside from, you know, just our own choice to partnership, we'd do some own, some own you know, like, what do we think here? Is this so the kind of place that could actually take correct benefit of what we're providing instead of, you know, creating an even worse situation. That's the last thing we want to do. But um, more applicably here, Amod, the area we intend to partner with next, perhaps you can mention yeah. a little bit about it, how we intend to do sort of an oversight committee to make sure things work out right. Yeah. So, so as, as Val mentioned, there's two types of credits and it really depends on, on the area that we're operating in. For, for individual cattle ranchers that are already grazing on their land, perhaps their land is already you know, you know, reduced perennial grass cover and it's already being degraded. The relationship is really just between gazelle and that, and that individual rancher. Now, what Ben is alluding to working with entire communities and like communal grazing areas, um, you know, as the, the answer to your question, Val, is yes. If we just increase people's purchasing power at the end of the day and then they just go buy airplanes with it or more Land Rovers, then, then yeah, we're, we're not really you know, <laughs> solving problems by dumping money on Africa. Um, so we're putting together a uh, an oversight committee that includes both members of communities that we would be working with, but also includes stakeholders on the ground that we trust and that we also work with that we know have the infrastructure in place to basically serve almost as a community bank for development projects. So the money that's allocated to these communities, as opposed to just, you know, turning it into a COVID stimulus check and, you know, just populating in everyone's, you know, bank accounts overnight, um, this would be controlled by an oversight committee that includes the community and they would make joint decisions on different sustainable development projects that are necessary in that community. So that way, it's not like, you know, Gazelle as a private entity is coming in and controlling their money and saying, hey, we know best. You know, we're letting the community decide, but that at least gives us some added, you know, measure of security so that we know that, okay, we're not just dumping money on communities. It's going to go toward 
projects, whether it's putting up an array of solar panels or putting in a water desalination plant or buying cleaner appliances and things like that. Education. Or, you know, whatever, whatever that, that might be. Yeah. So that's the general idea. Perfect. The goal is to reduce private jets and increase education, hopefully. One thing that I can just see that might come up as a question for you guys, and I know how your whole setup works or is supposed to work. I just want to explain to our listeners that obviously this is actually a business idea. You're not looking to say, oh, we need this. You got quite a lot of funding for the startup, which is quite amazing. How much was that again, by the way? I, I forget myself 80, sometimes. I believe it was 85,000. 80, yeah, 85, something 000. close to that. 85,000 US dollars. So well done. Congratulations on winning first yeah. prizes and everything. Pretty amazing. And I just want to explain this, the, just this little financial aspect. So if this works, obviously you guys could increase your team potentially. You would need right. quite a lot of people on the ground in Botswana. People would have to actually go onto these areas, do assessments, actually measure mm -hmm. the carbon sequestered in, in the soil, in the plants, and so on. Right. And all of that is quite a financial effort. Also, you guys can't bank on getting donations of $85,000 every year just to continue this. Mm -hmm. So somewhere, somewhere this obviously needs to work. So obviously, that, so the basic is all these companies emitting a lot of stuff. That money goes somewhere. There are the registries that yeah. verify this stuff. And then you guys can actually access quite a lot of that money and put it back and it's measured per metric ton of co2 yeah yeah so um to, to give you kind of a better idea of how how that would all be structured you know we're we're very early stage we've not brought in any other investors onto our cap table we haven't raised around or anything like that all of this is literally just non-dilutive funds from pitches and you know we've been, we've been quite lucky in in that sense um, so the carbon credits that are sold, it's, it's for every metric ton of carbon dioxide that is sequestered by your land. And as you mentioned, we measure that using approved methodologies and it's verified and validated by these carbon registries and companies are paying, you know, in wholesale on the low end, like $10 per credit going all the way up. I think in the European union, they're selling for like 80, $90 now. And that price is probably going to continue to to go up um but but really as we we within cover reason. with good reason yeah within, um, within reason yeah it's not just gonna um, explode exponentially no we're not this isn't crypto no <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's generally the idea there but you know margins are, are looking pretty good um so we'll be able to kind of cover our own operating expenses here because we're not looking to push any of that cost onto the actual users yeah right? they're not paying for the validation they're not paying for the registration we we cover all of those costs um so so the only thing they are the or end users actually have to do is just use the app and maintain their land awesome i think that pretty much sort of wraps this up i think to to get sort of this on a bit of a timeline for everybody listening we're actually collaborating right now with gazelle and mudisa in order to try and actually figure this out make sure it works because at the end of the day to promote this here we've already had meetings with some of the communities surrounding us government and so on so the message is out there but essentially we're trying now to, to actually set this up get it all registered get it going and it'll be a first try to see how much you know of the funds will essentially at the end of the day be available for the person or the community who owns slash manages or is in somewhat a way responsible for, for these ecosystems. 
So it's happening right now, pretty exciting. I can't wait to <laughs> hopefully get something nice going on with it. If this works, the idea is actually for Modisa to use the funds that we could potentially be generated to put that back into environmental research in this area and hopefully by that actually improve a lot of the measuring and, and ideas about the carbon that's actually stored here. So pretty amazing. I think I want to mention towards the end that just throwing money and making up for something is not at the end of the day going to solve the planet's issues. It's a way right now for companies to say, okay, we, we are aware of the fact that we are causing a lot of damage and we are trying to limit that or minimize it as much as possible by preventing areas from being destroyed or even by, by restoring areas that are destroyed and could be doing more, but it's quite frankly not enough so at the end of the day, the idea still has to be that our entire commercial world around us needs to somewhat become neutral, not just by saying I'm going to throw yeah. money at and, and still burn a lot of fossil fuels. So, But it's a way of trying to, to reach these goals and, and, and starting to change because we all know it's not something that can just happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So this is pretty amazing. Thank you guys for being here. I think that mm -hmm. says about all. And yeah, I hope it all goes well and we'll definitely hear more from you. And I think if this all works out we'll do another follow-up podcast on actually the progress of this yeah thanks <laughs> for one thanks for having us on updated edition awesome so yeah thanks to gazelle and the guys running this i've actually learned a hell of a lot about something that i've always been curious about and i'm even more excited to actually get involved with it now with modisa potentially with the communities here in our surrounding areas it's absolutely exciting and I can't wait to get this all going and, and see where it goes, what we can achieve with it. But in the meantime, and for the next podcast, I would like to take you guys back very much into the Kalahari with our animals, because we actually had some very, very exciting times. And that's also one of the large reasons why I did not have a lot of time for anything else. And the great news is Serga has gone outside. She spent quite a lot of time by herself in her large area and it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, something that I've been waiting for for 10 years now, and I'm sure Serga has in a way as well. So good news is she's done absolutely fantastically well. I don't want to, you know, spoil everything by telling you too much now. But we did have wild lions move back in again as well. And that has made it just even more exciting, but also meant for safety reasons, Serga had to temporarily move back into her home and... Actually, as I'm sitting here, there's a wild male lion who fancies Serga quite a lot, very nearby. And the question often comes up about Serga's area, because it has a fence around the whole thing. Is that being free for a lion? What does that actually mean? And we have a lot of comments about it on social media. So I've been meaning to do a podcast about this for quite some time. And that's going to be the next episode, which hopefully will be out this time, not in a year's time. But um, I hope within the next few weeks we will have that ready. And it's going to be about territories, sizes of territories, what do they depend on, what is a habitat, all of that kind of stuff. And we will make Serga and her area a little bit of an example so that we can visualize everything just a little bit better. So personally, I am very excited about this next episode. I can't wait. And thank you all for listening this time as usual. And I hope you'll be with us the next time as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Kalahari Diaries. Did you enjoy the podcast? 
fantastic. You can help me tremendously by subscribing and rating it on your podcast app. Leave a review and tell friends and family about it if you feel like it. If you want to know more about this story, go ahead and check out the website on sergeythelioness.com or follow me on social media. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at Val Grüne, that is at V-A-L-G-R-U-E-N-E-R, and at Modisa Wildlife Project, where I'm sharing photos and videos from the Kalahari on a regular basis. I'm Val, and you've been listening to the Kalahari Diaries.